How's everyone doing at Elevate today? Put my coffee down. Who's excited to be, who's excited to be at church today? Who actually believes that God's going to say something that's going to change your life? I'll tell you something about me. I never, ever rock up the church thinking, oh, you know what, I'm just going to leave the same way. I come with an expectation that there's a new rhythm that I need to put in place in my life. I come with an expectation or this understanding that there are certain things in my life that I need to recalibrate. And um, I really believe that every time I leave, uh, when I'm hanging out with any church, I leave changed. So the good news is my wife gets a better husband as soon as I go home today. Any wives need a better husband? <laughs> We're in Elevate. You guys are already there. At Kelmscott, man, we need a lot of work. Anyway, we're going to be in... Um... <laughs> We're going to be in um, 1 Corinthians a little bit later on. You can crack your Bible open there. And we're only going to be looking at one verse, really, really focusing on one verse. But um, really a great privilege to be here. Um, for some reason, Mark has allowed me to come and speak at this great church every year for the last four or so years. And um, gee, you guys are just absolutely going so well. And um, it's like, like Mark said, we're on a similar journey to what you guys are and um, probably a couple of years behind in um, just because... We haven't even got a new name or anything, but we will consider the cowboy. <laughs> Anglo-Indian boy leading a church in Camillo called the Cowboy Church. <laughs> Yeehaw, Grandma. Anyway, <laughs> how about I pray and we get into it? God, we thank you for this opportunity that we get to hang and uh, for this moment that we're together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you were speaking and through me, that you would um, just bring inspiration to, to what, what is said this day. And I pray that we would leave changed and transformed in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. It's good because you guys are a feisty, on fire, expectant church, ready to change the world. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. Well, I wonder if you've ever considered how new words have entered the world and maybe even come into our common day, like our vernacular. Um, could you imagine about 10 years ago, for instance, if you were like SMSing someone and your friend looked over to you and said, man, you're taking so long. You don't need to do all that. Just use an emoji. Could you imagine 10 years ago someone saying that to you? Does anyone know what an emoji is? Of course, you're an elevator. You know what an emoji is. <laughs> I don't have to explain that to you. Or imagine if, if 10 years ago, if you said, you know what, hash Hashtag Elevate Church Perth is absolutely awesome, is trending right now. Someone look at you and go, what the heck are you on about? They would 10 years ago. Four years ago, I was um, working in church and I had this great girl. She's a young adult and she was working with me. And, and I, was, I must have had one of those days, you know, just one of those days. And um, I know you guys couldn't possibly fathom what this is like, but one of those days when, when the guy who's supposed to be the senior pastor or the senior leader, is just a bit grumpy, you know, have you ever, could you imagine that? <laughs> just grumpy, just in a bit of a mood. And, and like, I was actually just trying to like protect everyone else. I was just really quiet. I was just clammed up. I was like, and finally she just came up to me and said, Dave, just go and have some lunch. You're hangry. I thought to myself, what the heck did you call me? That's the first time I ever heard of the word hangry. I went home, I said to my wife, I said, babe, you never guessed what Jess called me today. She said, I was hangry. And she just looked over to me and she said, babe, you often get hangry all the time. You just need some food sometimes because you need to feed a brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was four years ago that the word Brexit was first coined, four years ago. And it actually happened this year, didn't it? But four years ago, that word first entered into our world, four years ago. 
on 12th of June, 2008, Jeffrey Kluger wrote an article in Time magazine and it had a really interesting um, title. It was called The Art of Simplexity. The Art of Simplexity. And that's what I want to talk about today. Simplexity is this emerging theory that proposes that there's a relationship between the complex and the simple. It's a theory, it's an understanding that, 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 that says that from politics to art, everything that we see as being simple is actually complex. So if you consider someone who's, who's driving a truck for a living, there are aspects of that job which is as complex as a CEO of a great company. Or if you take a little, little guppy fish, right, that you got when you were a kid, this theory actually says correctly that, 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 that in, in that little fish, that there is such a complexity of, of, of a symphony of its um, biological systems and subsystems that that little guppy fish is more complex than the vastest, greatest star out in the universe. But the star looks so big, but the guppy looks so small. But in the simplicity, there is complexity. And it actually goes the other way around as well and says that when it comes to the complexities of life or the complexities of a system or complexities of an, of an organisation, the endeavour is to find simplicity through complexity. Otherwise, you can often get lost. You'd agree with that. And we actually use this theory in everyday language. Every day, all of us do. I guarantee we do it. Last week, um, it was Father's Day weekend, right? All the fellas... You realise the Father's Day is the most important day in the calendar. No? Now you know. You got 300. <laughs> now you know. You got 51 weeks to sort that out. Anyway, so but what what I had to do is that um, I got the privilege of going to my little daughter's. Um, like they had a Father's Day thing on Friday, right? Little thing. All the dads had to go, right? We all had to go. And what happened is I thought I'd get there early. It started at 12:15. So I got into the car park early only to see all the other fellas, all the other dads just rocking up into the car park. And guess what we did? Have you ever observed men? We stayed in the car until 12.14. I kid you not, until 12.14. And when we got out of the car, we walked into the kindy room and this is what we did. We just went. At that start, we didn't even have to talk to each other. Because guys can do that. In fact, I remember when my kids were young and we were in carousel and we used this double pram and my kids were just being, you know what kids are like? That times 100. You know, they were just like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. Jesus raptured me now or something. And we're over there and they're just like screaming and crying. And there's this other dad who's coming and he's walking his kid in his pram. He just looks at me and goes, no words had to be said. We were communicating. You know, he went like this. But what he was really saying, he was like, man, I can't believe it. How are you even surviving? I can't believe it. Where's your wife? You can get a female. Like, something, like they were saying that. But all I saw was, but he was communicating. But you know what? There comes a time when you actually need to talk to each other. And on that particular Friday, as, as all of us fathers went into the room, we actually had to start talking to each other. You know, like nodding only goes so far, doesn't it? It only goes so far. So, and, and guess what, what we actually, what the first thing we actually said to each other? So what do you do for a living? Isn't it? So what do you do for a living? And obviously, like, do you, are you an electrician? Are you a doctor? Are you a teacher? Well, when people ask me what I do for a living, I say, I'm a pastor. And generally, they kind of leave it like that or they sort of go beep and not because they don't, they don't see that. I'm from Armadale. They can't like sort of, really? You are 
beeping, kidding me. That's exactly what they say. Um, but, but if they actually went a little bit deeper, they kind of say, you're a pastor? Does, does that kind of mean that you're kind of like a theologian? Well, yes, I am. Um, it looks like you're a public communicator. Yes. Um, are you a leader? Yes. Do you manage people and stuff? Yes, I do, actually. Um, is it kind of like chaplaincy? Yeah, well, there is a part of that. It's, yes, I guess it is. And I see, oh, your church, you're like, like you, is marketing involved? Do you do the marketing? Yes, I do. And your web page, do, who does the web? Oh, I did, like, so you do some web design? Yes. And video editing? Yes. You do that kind of stuff. And what about weddings and funerals? Yes. What about mentoring? Yes. What about home visits, hospital visits? Yes. And if you think about it, someone might say, well, why didn't you tell me that you did all of this stuff? And I would say, I did. I told you, I'm a pastor. But what we do is we take all these complicated tasks and we give it one word, don't we? There's a guy in our church, he's one of our elders, and he's a heart surgeon, right? Now, he can just sort of say, what do you do, Louie? I'm a surgeon. There is nothing simple about operating on a heart. But we do it every day, don't we? I'm this, I'm that, I'm an electrician. I tell you this, I'm a builder. I could tell you something right now, building is not simple because that sucker has to stay up. I can't do it, but we use it every day, don't we? And the, 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 the task and the art is to actually appreciate that there's complexity and simplicity, but also go the other way around and say, in this complexity of life or in this complexity of my role, there has to be a pathway of simplicity. Otherwise, we often get lost, don't we? We often get lost. And today, I want to mention, as we move on, I want to mention two of the most complex directives that I have read in Scripture. I mean, this is holy Scripture. It's so complex, but they read so simply. And the first one's from the greatest king that Israel ever had. And the second one is from one of the greatest minds that this world has ever had. And the first one's found in 1 Kings um, chapter 2, verse 2, from King David. And he's giving this Advice. He's given this directive to Solomon, his son, just before he dies. And he says this, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man. Could you imagine that if your dad came up to you and said, Dave, this is what you need to do. If you want to succeed in life, if you want to do well in life, if you want to have a great marriage, if you want to have a great family, if you want to do great at work, this is what you need to do. I'm all ears. Act like a man. Yeah? And then what? Sounds simple. So complex, right? So complex. First Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to be in there. And one of the greatest minds this world's ever seen, definitely the greatest theologian, I think, that, that we would obviously have ever, ever seen other than Jesus. He says this in, in First Corinthians 13 verse 11, speaking to the church in Corinth, Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Other translation says, when I grew up, I put away childish things. Growing up, acting like a man, being an adult, putting away childish things sounds so simple, doesn't it? It's obvious. It's so obvious because we've never had an encounter with an adult and walked away thinking, you're so childish. Why are you acting like a kid? We've never had that, have we? Right? Never. 
Never. You, you may never have had it in like the city of Belmont, but let me tell you, where I'm from, I encounter that every single day. It's like, you're older than me, but why are you acting like a child? Because it's difficult to put away childish stuff because being a child's easy. You know, I remember when I was a boy, it was great. I grew up in Armidale. We had a creek down the road. It was awesome. All I had to do is ride my bike and be home in time for dinner. That was fantastic. It was fantastic. But things got a little bit more complicated because then I became a teenager. And then I went to this high school, this public high school, and I had to try and fit in. Right, that was hard, wasn't it? It was a lot harder fitting in the high school. And then all of a sudden, my body started changing. I started like sort of growing and becoming more un- unco and uncoordinated. And then I started smelling. And then my voice went deeper. And then girls started getting prettier. And things got a little bit more complicated, didn't they? They do. They do. And then I became an adult. And for some reason, someone gave me a license to a car. I'm allowed to drive this weapon on the road, right? And I don't have any school hours. So I need to put some discipline in place. And, and all of a sudden, things get more and more complicated. And then I get married. And my goodness, the things get complicated when I got married. But then five years ago, I had this little girl, Kayla Grace Ryder. And it was so beautiful and amazing. But you know what? When she first came into the world, all I had to do was change a couple of nappies. All I had to do was swaddle her a bit. All I had to do was make sure I could, I, I could like talk softly and, and all that. But, but, but life has told me that as, even as I become a parent and grow up in life, things are going to become more and more complicated, aren't they? And we need a plan. We need a way of simplicity to get through the complexity of life. And what I have is just a bit of a video of something I'm thinking about, which may help you guys. But let's have a look at this video and then I'll get on to the guts of this message. Oh, you look good. Thank you. Hey! See the guy taking my little girl out, huh? Yep. Huh. You know what? Why don't you go ahead and take my new car? Thanks, Pops. Go ahead, baby. Favorite spot, favorite girl. I'm taking you home. Why? Back so soon? Here you go, sir. Because a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. Honey, what'd you guys do tonight? You you better believe I'm going to be that kind of dad. So you can start praying for my daughter right now. (laughs) I said to my church, and I really believe it, if you want to date, you're going to have to earn the hand of my daughter because I'll make sure of that. Well, today, I want to actually hopefully bring some clarity to the complexity of life because if you've been alive for, I don't know, at least five years, you understand that life gets more and more complicated. And because of the complexities of life, we can often get lost in life. And that is a really difficult thing to find your way when you get lost. And the great thing about Scripture, the great thing about God, the great thing about Bible is that it actually brings simplicity to the complexity of life. 
And today I want to focus on three things, three primary things that the Bible talks about, that if we focus on these three things, if we allow it to shape our life, it will actually bring simplicity to our life and it will actually be one of those um, moments or one of those things that allow us to put away childish things, to grow up, to become mature in Jesus Christ. And um, it's amazing, these three primary things. And if you think about it, life is actually full of primary things. In 2010, Andrew and I had the great privilege of going to Europe. And um, we, um, in four weeks, we jammed as much in four weeks as we possibly could. And we went to um, places like Notre Dame, we went to the Vatican, we went to Versailles. We, we went and we saw some amazing architecture, some amazing buildings. And you know what, when it comes to architecture, when it comes to buildings, no matter how sophisticated or how basic they are, they are all built on three primary things. Line, angle, curve. You know, there's thousands of colours around the world. I just like the basic ones. I go somewhere and I say, I just want that shirt. It's blue. And someone said, that's not blue. That's a different colour. But there are thousands of colours in the world. You know, there's, there's midnight blues. There's atomic turquoises. There's, there's citrine hue, which is orange. And, and there are so many thousands of colours, but there are only three primary colours. Red, yellow, blue. See, life is full of things. Life is full of complex things, but life is also full of primary things. And in this, the, the, the complexities, we need to look for the primaries. And what the Bible does in this Scripture that we're about to look at, it actually drills down to the primary things that we need to look for in your life and in my life, in the life of any church, in the life of any um, civilization, actually. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. I guarantee you know this because this is the, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture everywhere. If you've been to a wedding recently, you've probably heard this. But Paul speaks and he says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. These three things, and notice he uses the word remain. That's a really important word. These three remain. They're primary things. Line, angle, curve, red, yellow, blue, faith, hope and love. Have you ever considered after your life is done, dusted, you've done your thing, you've entered the stage, you've exited the stage. Have you ever considered what's going to remain? What's going to be left? Because that is a really important question. In fact, that is kind of the litmus test for spiritual maturity, for Christian maturity, for growing up, for putting away childish things, what is left? We may use a, I did another word. We may use the word legacy. What remains? What is my legacy? What, is I'm gonna, what am I going to be left for? If I was this, this stone and I was thrown into a pond, would there be a ripple effect that would actually outlast me? This one solitary life which God has given me, would other generations be impacted by the way that I live, the way that I talk, the deposit, that I made in the next generation, would that go on for future generations? You know, the Bible talks about generations a lot. In fact, in Kings, that there are so many generations. There's this five-generation rule that happens in Kings. Like one king did this and the next king did that and it keeps on going. That our life that we live today should affect generations that are here and living for Jesus when we are gone. After all is said and done, what is it that remains because legacy is important. It's important that my little boy Jackson carries the name Ryder. It's important that my children carry certain values. 
Legacy is important. And when we talk about growing up, putting away childish things, when we're talking about acting like a man or acting like an adult, you know, when we're talking about living life well, it's far more intricate and far more complex than like sort of saying, oh, you need to do this, 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 read your Bible and pray and all that. It's actually more complex than that. And the litmus test for each and every person is what is left after we are gone. And the great thing about that is that we get to decide what's left. We actually get to decide the decisions that we make. And we can make all sorts of decisions. You know, we can make emotional decisions. You know, you're angry, you're lonely, you're dissatisfied, so you make a decision. You can make a decision to live to work instead of working to live. That shapes life completely different, doesn't it? We can make financial decisions. Oh, you know, I'm going to get paid more to do this job, so I'm going to leave schools, I'm going to leave churches, I'm going to leave communities. And that has an impact on generations, doesn't it? We can make relational decisions. But the decisions that are most powerful and the decisions that leave legacy are those decisions that consider what is going to remain when I am gone. What's going to remain? Those kind of decisions. You know, I heard someone say, you know, you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, right? If you teach him a fish, what does it say? You'll go broke because you have to buy him a rod, you have to buy him bait, you have to buy him a boat. But if you teach a man why to fish, he'll figure it out. And if we understand the why, we'll figure it out. We will figure it out. Faith, hope and love are the primary things. And you may be in the same boat as me. I may well, probably won't be able to leave a million dollars in the bank account of my little boy and little girl. That probably is not going to be the legacy because their dad's a pastor. It probably is not going to be that. But one thing I can do is leave a legacy of faith, hope and love. I have no doubt that when my job as senior pastor is done, Leaders will be developed, buildings will be built, churches will be planned. I have no doubt all that stuff's going to happen. People will be married, people will be buried. All that stuff's going to happen, but that's not the legacy which I want to leave. The legacy which I want to leave is what's the faith in the people? What hope do they have and do they love? These three things remain. So I'm just going to go through these three things, faith, hope, and love, and let us consider how these things can shape. Maybe today, like I said at the beginning, there's a new rhythm that God wants to put in our life that we need to actually make some, some tweaks, some recalibrations and actually to consider these three things that are going to remain. And you know what? This is a simple message, but this could be the most profound message you've ever heard if you actually take these three things and apply it to your life. So faith, what is faith? Well, faith is my connection with God. That's my connection with God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He is and that He's a reward. Do you know God's a rewarder? Did you know that? Does anyone know that? Is anyone excited about that? That's our God. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Ephesians 2 says that it's, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it's a gift from God. What is faith? Faith is this relational trust in God. It's trusting God, but it's actually even deeper than that. Faith, this is what faith is. Christian faith is trusting the character of God. What do you truly believe God is like? Who is God to you? And I can listen to Louis and say, oh, this is who God is like for Louis, but who's God like for you? Is He good? Is He merciful? Is He compassionate? Is He loving? Does He believe the best? If you stuff up in life, is He like there with a finger and saying, you stupid little person? Or is He a loving heavenly Father who comes alongside and says, come on, get back up. You're a world changer. You're a world conqueror. There is something more for you to get. Get up and keep going, my child. Is that the kind of God you have? 
I reckon that there are so many unauthorised messages of Christianity out there. Have you ever seen like a celebrity and they have an Instagram account? And there's like hundreds of unauthorised Instagram accounts of that same celebrity? They're unauthorised. We need to make sure that we send out an authorised message of God. Because there are so many unauthorised messages. The world thinks God hates them. Let me have a look. No, that's unauthorised. I'm sorry. If it ain't in here, it's not authorised. God loves you. God cares for you. God's got plans for your life. God's got plans for this church. God's got plans for this community. You're not sitting here by accident. You're here to change the world. We as Christians do not have the luxury of sitting on our backside and doing nothing when God has equipped us with amazing, sophisticated, spiritual things to get the job done. What do you believe about God? What do you think about God? I want my children to see a daddy who loves God. I want my wife to see a man who's on fire for Jesus Christ. On fire for Jesus Christ. There is nothing weak or wimpy about a man standing up, confident in Jesus, worshipping God, praying his guts out, preaching the gospel. Mate, that is power, that is strength. And we need to see more men stand up for Jesus. Amen? We do. We absolutely do. And I want my church to see that. And I don't want them just to see me in the highs. I want them to see me in the lows as well. Because we have highs and lows in life and the way that I carry myself in the lows speaks world, um, speaks volumes to the generations to come. I want my little teenagers and my young and also my church to see me and say, whoa, look at Dave. He's going through a hard patch at the moment. Man, things aren't looking good. But you know what? If Dave can get through it, I reckon I can get through it. It's the example of inspiration. That's what it is. And that's what it means to be authentic as well. That even when things are going not so great, I know God's got this and He's got me. Hope, hope. How's your hope at the moment? I reckon hope is the one thing, one of those things that no one can afford not to have hope. No one. Because you cannot survive some of the setbacks, some of the curveballs, some of the heartbreaks that life throws at each and every one of us without hope. Because things happen. Has anyone just been walking through life and all of a sudden, bang, you got a left hook? And it's not because you're a good person or you're a bad person, it's because you're a person and you're living on earth and things happen. But if we do not have a hope that actually anchors us, we could be like a ship in a storm without an anchor and we could end up absolutely anywhere. But we need hope. Where's your hope? Where's my hope? Well, Scripture tells me, 1 Peter chapter 1, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. I love this next line. This inheritance is kept. Everyone say kept. It's kept in heaven. That's one of the most important words there, that word kept. It's kept. It can never be unkept. It can never be lost. It's kept for you. It's kept for me. So how I approach my life, what frames my life, what is the anchor of my soul? Because I've got to tell you, if I lost my house, if I lost my job, if I lost my relationships, would I still have an anchor? Would I still have an anchor? That's the question. Would I still have an anchor? Would I still, do I really believe those words that, that there's this living hope, there is something that's been kept for me? Because if I take that Scripture and I put it into my heart and if I believe that with all my heart, it actually means that you can take my job, but you can't take my hope. It actually means you may even be able to take my health. 
You can't take my hope. Hey, here's a big one. You may even be able to take my life here on earth, but you will never, ever, ever take my hope because my hope is my anchor, you see. It shapes everything. And can you imagine having that anchor and having our little ones? Can you imagine our Elevate kids? They're growing up. They're being ministered to over there. They're learning about Jesus right over there. This is not like childcare. That's ministry. I remember being in little peoples and all that. I learned about Jesus out there, not in here. You know, I added to my knowledge here, but I learned about Jesus in there. But could you imagine these little ones and they see this this, this, this group of people who love Jesus and they just see this hope that we have. It'll change a generation. Last one is love. Earlier on in this verse, Paul writes and he says, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, does not dishonour others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You know, love is one of those things that it's impossible to give love unless you have love. Just like if you came up to me and if Paul came up to me and said, you know what, Dave, I need five bucks. I cannot give him five bucks unless I have five bucks. You can't do it. Because I read that 1 Corinthians 13 and I hear it a lot because I do so many weddings. It is incredible. I do so many weddings. I have no idea. So many weddings. Why? And, and I hear that all the time and I go through, love is patient. I failed that. Love is kind, fail, doesn't envy, oh, stuff me. So I, I, I read through the first line of that and it's like fail, 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 fail. And the reason why I sometimes think that is because I put the cart before the horse because in order for us to love and express love, we have to first receive love. As Jesus said, my commandment to you is to love each other. Okay, Jesus, that's really easy, not. Uh-uh. He doesn't end there. He says, love each other as I have loved you, Right? So if this is what love is, guess what? God is patient with you. He's more patient with you than what you are. Whoever like does something dumb and say, oh, you idiot. God never does that because God is patient. God is kind to you. He thinks the best of you. His grace, His love is focused, Ephesians, on you. And when we come to the place where we receive the love of God, we are now in a position where we can extend and express and give the love of God. Because if you try it the other way around, you're going to fail every single time. Those three things. So to put away childish things, to grow up, to act like a man, is really complex. But we need to find a simple path through it. That's the simplexity of life. We need to find the simple pathway through the complex. And in the myriad of all the things that we have to do and can do and have to say, and can, in the in myriad of thousands, hundreds of thousands of things that, that come our way, the, the, the decisions that we have to make every single day, there are primary things. Line, angle, curve. Red, yellow, blue. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. I will make a promise that if you go on a journey as I am, where I'm looking at these things and I'm looking at Scripture, and I'm saying, okay, how do I apply that to my life? How do I live that? It will change your life. It will enable you to put away childish things. 
you're probably more advanced than me. I've got so many childish things to put away. But it will leave a legacy. Something will be left. Something will remain. And your life, if it is like that stone and it's just thrown out, the ripple effect will not just last one generation, but it will last generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. And you are a world changer. You're not here by accident. And you're one of the best churches in Perth, by the way. You are. You're in a church that doesn't flinch. A church that leads. You're in a magnificent church. Let me encourage you. You are in a magnificent church. Give everything you have. Change the world. Don't die and think, I wonder if. No one wants that. No one wants that. There's a world out there is ready us to move outside of here. You know, when we gather together like this, we're a community of faith. When we leave this building, we become the church. That's when we're the church. That's when we're powerful. That's when we're potent. And these three things, faith, hope, and love, they are the things that remain. The greatest of these is love. I'm going to pray. How about you close your eyes? Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. Father, I pray that as we've opened Scripture and even really just try to drill down on one simple verse, really one simple one. I really pray that that same inspiration that you breathe through Paul as he penned those words, that that same inspiration will hit our hearts and hit our minds and hit, hit our souls today. I ask that you would change us, that you would challenge us, that you wouldn't leave us as we are, but you would come and bring a new rhythm to our life. You'd bring recalibration, Lord. I pray for those of us where there's been so much complexity that they've just, I'm lost, it's so complex. I pray that this morning that you would bring a pathway of clarity, of simplicity, that we can walk well and we can live well and we can love Jesus well and we can love people well in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.